Hey, everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and, of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. You can ask her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. Ask Katie anything. Hey everybody, we are back with episode, I think, number three of Ask Katie Anything. And I pulled all of you on my YouTube community tab to put your questions in there and ask me, well anything. And in every episode, what I have learned is that I get through about nine questions, but I have 12 on my document just in case I happen to be a lot quicker getting through these. Um, and I'm hoping that this, these podcasts like Sean and I's podcast, as well as this podcast can be a nice distraction slash something else to do while we're all most likely, you know, being like, what do they call it? Uh, you're just stuck at home essentially, but I forget the term they use. It's like, do you remember, Sean, what the term is? They call it, no, it's not quarantine. It's like uh, something at home, like you shelter at home, shelter in place. Yeah, shelter in place. That's the word. It's a very strange phrasing, but we are sheltered in place. We've been home now um, due to the coronavirus outbreak, probably like I think we're on day seven or eight at this point. Um, and it's even been a little longer than that, but we did step out to fill up our gas tank and get some cash and groceries and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but then back in the house. And so here we are going crazy with you. Yay. Okay, let's get into your questions. And the first question is, why do some people never recover from mental illnesses that most people make a recovery from? Examples they offer are depression rather than a chronic mental health condition such as bipolar. Are some people just unfortunate in their brain chemistry, or is this a reflection on our healthcare system and or the way society views mental health? I love this question. Oh my God. Thank you so much for asking it. And I definitely believe that this is kind of a reflection on our healthcare system and the way that society views mental health, because the truth about things like depression and even bipolar disorder, any mental health condition should be treated in the same way we treat a medical condition. And I really mean that like 100% because think about like the common cold, right? If I start feeling sick and I catch a cold and then I get over the cold, like six months later, you wouldn't be like, oh my God, you have a cold again? Like what's wrong with you? But that's, that's what happens, right? We get sick. And that's the same with like depression, anxiety symptoms. They can come and go. We can feel good for a long time. We can get them into kind of remission. You know what a therapist, the term remission means no more symptoms of it. Those symptoms can go away. And then let's say something else happens or we just have like a down few months and it comes back. If we're more predisposed to have some kind of mental illness or even just symptoms of a mental illness, those like symptoms can always come back. And so I think that's just something I want you to keep in mind, like because they it always can come back. It's not like, oh, we just recover from it and it never happens again. That would be amazing, but that's just not how things are. And yes, there are more like chronic 
symptoms of mental illnesses like people with bipolar disorder may tend to have to like maybe be on medication more frequently or maybe their entire lives more than someone with depression everyone is going to be different but just like there are more chronic illnesses right some of us struggle with you know let's say uh like constant fatigue symptoms or maybe you know um we're always constantly fighting some like muscle spasms in our back or we have uh, migraines we can have more chronic illnesses and issues that we treat and manage just like we would mental illnesses and some mental illnesses require more you know uh, constant treatment um, and management of symptoms. And so, yeah, I really think that we need to change the way we talk about mental health issues. And I honestly will even put myself in that bucket that I should ensure that I'm always talking about it this way as well, because I'm sure, I mean, I have like 1200 videos out there or more. I don't know. I've lost track, but I'm sure there's times when I've spoke about things maybe differently than I should have. And so I'll take responsibility as well that I plan on changing the way that I talk about mental health issues and recovery from them because I do believe that we can recover from mental illnesses, but that doesn't mean we're like immune to them coming back, right? Like I've talked about eating disorders a lot because that's my specialty. And a lot of my patients with eating disorders issues, I'm sorry, I stuttered there, with eating disorder issues, they will be recovered. But then let's say that something super stressful in their life happens or um, maybe there's like a death in the family, something terrible, the urges or the thoughts can come back. That doesn't mean we're going to act on them, but we could. But at the very least, thoughts that we maybe haven't had in a long time will start to come back. And that's just, it's just like anything else. Like if we don't take care of ourselves, we're going through a stressful time, our health and our mental health can be affected. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed this question. So I'll try to make a point to change the way that I talk about mental health and make sure that people always understand that it should be seen exactly as physical health um, because that's really the truth. And we can't even, even if we don't want to talk about them the same, they are the same. Like we run into our mental health affects our physical health and vice versa. So the sooner we can all get on board to treat health as a whole, I think the better off we'll all be. Okay. Okay, cool. I feel like I was succinct. Maybe not. Maybe. I'm going to drink some water and we'll get on to question number two. And also I want to share a tip um, before I get into the next question. I want to share a tip of something that I've been doing to deal with kind of this coronavirus COVID-19 chaos that's going on in our world. Um, and I've been doing a lot of what I call thought stopping. And I'm sure there's a question here where people are asking about this, but um, I will try to change the topic in my brain to like, what's a trip that I really want to take? Or what was the last great vacation I had? Or a great vacation I want to have? Or an amazing memory? And I force my brain out of chaos, anxiety thoughts, the spiraling out of control into something that's a little happier, healthier, um, and just stops that spiral. And if you find yourself spiraling, disconnect from the media because it's like, I don't need 24-7 updates on the coronavirus that's just not going to do me any good. And I do need to live my life. So I'm going to watch enough to be informed. And then I'm going to swap over. And I'm going to, you know, think about other things so that I don't spiral out of control. So I'd encourage you to do the same. Okay. Without further ado, question number two. It says, hey, Katie, when you're in quarantine or self-isolating, how do you take care of your mental health as a teenager if you rely a lot on social stimulants to keep you going? I know that this isn't ideal and it's not ideal for anyone. And I know it's hard for us to be socially isolated. I would encourage all of us to engage safely with people in our lives. We have so many tools now 
I can Skype someone on my computer right now, use a Zoom meeting. I can do FaceTime with friends and family. I can text. I can send Snapchats. I can send Instagram stories. I can do a lot of different things. And I would encourage us all to get a bunch of like fishing lures out in the water to different people in our lives and connect with them. Like earlier today, I texted with my mom. I, I Instagram message was like four or five of my friends and I called my grandma. And even though I know I can't see them in person, it was great for me to connect, to hear their voice, to know what's going on. And I would encourage all of us to do the same. And I know it's not the same as in person, but that's the cool thing about like, there's even uh, this new thing on, uh, on your TVs now. It's an app you download called Netflix Party. And I think they created it with Google. So you have to have like a Chrome browser in order to download it, or you're, you have to have a smart TV or whatever, however you get into it. If you have Apple TV, I'm sure you can just download it through there. But you download the Instagram party app and you can watch shows with your friends and comment back and forth. I've seen a lot of uh, people online doing um, like little group hangouts for like happy hour or making food together. You can find ways to engage with people socially in a non-traditional fashion. So I wouldn't, um, I know that it sucks. I know it's not the same. But if we can get through these first couple of weeks and if your friends have been quarantined for the same time. Now I want to throw this out there. I'm not a medical doctor, so if you've been told or if you have laws in your country, like in the state of California now, we can't leave our homes other than to go to the pharmacy, go to the hospital, or go get groceries. Those are the only things that are open right now. Um, but if you can, after these like two or three weeks have gone by and your friends have been quarantined and they don't have any symptoms and you don't have any symptoms, it might be safe and okay to get together with that one friend. Um, so there are ways we can control our interaction so that we can get social interaction. But for this first chunk of time, we're just going to have to use our online resources. And it's fucking awesome that we have those, right? Like this is a really tough time. And imagine if all we had was a home phone. I don't know. Probably most of you don't remember that. But at 36, I remember as a teenager, all I wanted was my own phone in my room and my own phone line. And my dad was like, over my dead body, if you're going to have a conversation, you have to be out. It was like, I wanted privacy and they didn't want me to have it. And I totally get it now that I am 36. But back then, that's all we had. And we had dial up internet. And so the advancements that have been made give us the so many opportunities to connect. And so I would encourage you to do that. And even if let's say we don't always get along with like our sibling, as long as it's not harmful to us, like abusive in any way, we can start a project, whether that's like a puzzle or a new video game we learn together or something that we do. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we play a certain game together, a video game that we love, or I don't know, even if it's just Mario Kart or something, do something with people that you can in your home. That connection is important too. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the best way we can take care of our mental health as well as like tapping in. I know a lot of people are having a hard time right now. I know it, it is hard. I don't, don't want to discredit anyone's feelings because how you feel is very valid because it feels overwhelming and we're in a stress like fight, flight, freeze, like we're in a constant stress response. So finding ways to soothe our system can be really helpful and tapping in. Like it's okay to take the time to just be quiet with ourselves, consider how we're feeling Maybe we journal about that. Maybe we just consider how things are going. Am I happy with the friendships that I have, the relationships I'm in? Are there things and decisions that I've been making kind of like half, half-assed half and not like not fully present? Are there some things that I would like to put more energy into and things I'd like to put less energy into? This is a great time for reflection. I know that our society 
And just the energy online and like with people is like, go, 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 hustle, 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 have a lot of friends, do a lot of things, be really busy. That's all fine and dandy, but we also need to be able to slow down, be okay with being alone sometimes and being able to tap in and become friends with ourselves. And I know that sounds like really woo woo and cheesy, but it's super helpful to become friends with yourself because the relationship that you have with yourself is the most important relationship that you have. And so I would encourage you to take some time during this isolation to learn about yourself, ask yourself questions and give honest answers. That's why journaling is so powerful is you get to learn about yourself. And even when you're older, like I used to journal all the time and I can go back and be, look at like 24 year old Katie's journals. And I'm like, Oh man, she has so much to learn. Um, and so it can be really great to see how far we've come as well. Um, I know I'm kind of all over the place with this, but there's a lot that we can do to take care of our mental health. We can connect with others and our family. We can connect with people online and using the tools that we have. Um, you can also uh, take time to tap in, you know, journaling, using your tools. If, if impulses are, are difficult for you, if like you struggle with self-harm urges, um, thoughts of suicide, eating disorder, depression stuff, um, we can use impulse logs. So it can be like, what's this impulse? I want to binge eat, let's say. And then I'm like, what's the feeling that I'm really experiencing that I'm trying to like numb out? Like what happened? And I might answer like another news report was just too much. Or my mom made a ton of my favorite binge food because we're stuck in the house. It could be any number of things. Um, I have more food on hand than I normally do. Okay. So that's what happened. What am I really feeling? Okay. I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling sad, or I'm feel, I'm worried, I'm anxious, we're all feeling all that. And then what can I do instead? Maybe I color, maybe I call a friend, maybe, um, you know, maybe I mentioned to my mom to not purchase that stuff anymore. Or I, you know, uh, make sure there's other foods that I also enjoy that are available that I will eat in moderation that aren't quite as triggering. There's all sorts of things we can do. Um, so impulse logs can be helpful too. And I think that's really it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. If any of you have other thoughts and ideas, leave them in the comments below. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can scoot down into those comments and give us some other tips. But I think there's a lot of ways we can still take care of ourselves. If you need your own alone time in your house, because maybe your family members have no boundaries, it's okay to take a long bath. It's okay to shut your room and put something in front of your door for a bit, you know, just to cool off and be like, I just need some alone time. I would encourage you to communicate that. Um, take that time for yourself. But we'll get through this, you guys. Hopefully, if everyone's taking this seriously, we, this won't be forever, okay? Question number three. In light of current events, what strategies can people use to cope with sudden massive disruptions in their daily lives? Um, and then someone commented down on this and said, yes, and specifically those with emetophobia. And if you don't know, emetophobia is when we have a fear of becoming uh, sick, like uh I don't know how else to say it without using the word, but when we get really ill from eating something and our body has to purge it, um, people can really struggle with uh, worries of that. And so I think the massive disruptions in our daily lives, because this is, you're not going to like my answer, but it's the real truth, is that there are two parts to this. The first is that with any disruption, when we don't have control over something, like we don't have control over the fact I, like I can't change the law and what has been, you know, put onto the state of California. I can't just leave my house and decide that I'm going to go get my nails done, even though, oh my God, they need to be done so bad. I can't do anything about that. So I can't control that. So we can't control all this disruption, but what can I control healthfully? 
okay? Because I know a lot of eating disorder and self-injury people are like, oh, I can control a lot of things. Just watch me go. No. What can I control healthfully? So you know what I can do? The action that I can take is that I can um, keep some rituals and routines while at home. I can get up at the same time. I can make the breakfast or coffee like I normally do. I can get dressed like I normally do and shower I can still get my work done in the way that I want within the hours that I normally work. There are things we can do to control it. And so instead of focusing on what we can't control, because we tend to be like, well, I want to do it this way and that's not working. So everything is just fucked. Don't let your brain go to that dark place. And so like all or nothing, black and white. Life is not black and white. We're in a definite gray zone right now. So I can control that I can't go back to work or school and I can't leave my house, but I can still keep some of my routine. And here are the things that I can do. Giving yourself some of that action so that you can take action where you can, can be really, really healing and also just help us manage all of this disruption. And when it comes to um, kind of like the coping is also, so that was the first part. The second part is like finding ways to soothe ourselves. So taking action can be one of those, but it's just a way to try to have a routine anyways. But we know, I don't know if you've watched my video about the coronavirus, we know that like jaw, neck, shoulders, all these muscles up here in our face and head and neck are what is um, activated during stress response. My friend Alexa Altman told me about this. Um, I read a bunch of, I went down a rabbit hole of research, you guys. But we can take the time to relax those muscles. I've been doing this pulling on my neck and, and like kind of massaging it during the day because I find myself feeling really, really, really tense. Um, you know, even just doing neck rolls, that's one way to soothe our system. Warm baths, if that works for you, that could be a way to soothe your system. Stretching, that's been super helpful for me. I just uh, sit down on my carpet in my living room and do some stretches, stretch my feet, my legs, my back, my sides. Oh, it just feels good. Um, so there are some things that we can do to help us cope. And it's really, we're coping through action and then we're trying to find ways to soothe our system because this, I know this feels very disruptive, but we can't fix that. We can only fix our response to it. And so those are some ways that you can more thoughtfully respond. And then to go into the final part of this question where they ask um, uh, people with emetophobia, if there were rituals and things that you did to help assuage this worry and fear, I would encourage you to continue doing that. Again, we can focus on like, oh, well, I used to only do X, Y, and Z. This used to be the way that I would manage that anxiety or that worry. And so if we made sure that we didn't overeat or we didn't undereat or we didn't eat certain types of food, like I know it's a lot of food control stuff. I know it's a lot of anxiety management. There are things that we can still do to manage that worry. Um, and there are still like food is still available at the grocery stores. You guys, I know people like totally panic bought. That's not, I would encourage all of you just to purchase what you need for that week and then do it again the next week. Those are the easiest ways because food is still on the shelves. There's no issue with our supply of food. We're going to be okay. So if it's hard for you to have a lot of food in the house, then that means that maybe we place our delivery order or we go out once a week to get that food. We're careful. We wash everything. We wash our hands. You know, we change our clothes and we get ready for the next week. Um, take control over the things that you can so that your emetophobia urges and worries and just anxieties don't get worse. 
Um, and I think a lot of the, a lot of our mental health issues, any worries are going to get worse during this time, just because we're on high alert, because we're already in a stress response. So just be kind and compassionate to yourself and do what you can to calm your system down. Okie dokie. Um, on to question number four. I was like, where am I? Let me grab a drink of water here. Question number four is, do you have any tips for people with OCD? With everyone talking about washing hands and cleaning due to the coronavirus, do you know or do you, uh, how do you make sure you don't fall back into old rituals? This is going to be very difficult. And a lot of it has to do with um, the worried thoughts. Because if you guys don't know the way that OCD works for most of us, for not all of us, but for those of us who have actual compulsions that are physical and not um, just mental, for if any of you are confused and like, what are you talking about? Some, uh, some people with OCD have more of what I would call um, pure O OCD, meaning it's just the obsessions. So they're mental. So we'll have like these thoughts, these imp uh, intrusive thoughts will pop up. Usually they're sexual or violent in nature. And the fact that those thoughts even happen cause us so much anxiety. And then we have to think some think in a certain way or do a certain thing in order to make that anxiety or worry go away. And so a lot of us can have our OCD mainly just within our thought process. But for a huge chunk of other people with OCD, we have physical compulsions that we have to do along with the thoughts. Does that make sense? I hope that that's clear. If not, I have videos on YouTube. Just search Katie Morton, Pure O, and Katie Morton OCD. You'll find them, okay? But for those of us who already have a compulsion to, let's say, wash our hands a certain number of times or do certain things, um, when it comes to cleanliness, because that can be something that a lot of OCD people struggle with, I would encourage you to continue to use your tools. And uh, this is going to be difficult. But you have to... I hope you're still seeing your therapist because you're going to have to talk through this. But for instance, I'll give you like a great, a great example. I've been home for many, many days and have not touched anything in many, many days that could contaminate me, Sean, or our environment. So if my OCD is telling me right now in this moment, like you have to wash your hands again. Oh my God, it's been more than 15 minutes. Isn't that what they said on the news? You should be washing your hands every 15 minutes for 20 seconds. Oh my God. And it's spiraling, right? You feel it. The anxiety is building. We're going to have to push back because we know the only way to stop OCD, and I know you guys are going to hate this, but the only way to stop those thoughts is to actually not act on them, to fight, to fight the urge. And the longer you put it off, it gets worse at first, the urge, and then it goes away and dissipates. And so if you're having that freak out where it's like, I should wash my hands, we need to distract ourselves. I would encourage you to use some distraction techniques like uh, coloring, uh, organizing a closet. Let's put this to some good use. We can pick up around the house. We can watch a funny show. I can connect with another friend. I can call someone, text someone, Skype with someone, FaceTime with someone. Uh, you can do all of those things. And then I promise you that urge will slowly dissipate. And so I would not listen to more uh, media about cleanliness and then ne like how necessary it is. If we're already taking our own precautions and you've been in your house, sure, we should all be somewhat hygienic in general, but I guarantee you're not going to need to wash your hands in the amount of the amount of times that like your OCD is trying to tell you to. So we're going to have to, you know, distract and then self-soothe. And I know I keep coming back to this, but I think this is a really important thing during this time because we're in that stress response and it's like prolonged, that energy can build. Because I don't know if you remember from my video, I was talking about how when we're in fight or flight, we, 
usually it peaks really quickly and it goes away. The fight or flight response. And fight, flight, freeze. Sorry. As, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it fires. It gets us. Either we fight something or we run away from something that's a threat. And then we come down from it and we're like, oh. And then if you don't remember when I talked about body memories, something that uh, Peter Levine, I think his name is Peter Levine. He was the psychologist that was studying this. After animals run away from a threat and they survive, they do a deep breath and they shake it out. It's like shaking out all that energy. And so we, because what we're running from or what we're fight, flight, freezing from is a virus that we can't see and we're not sure and we don't understand and it's overwhelming. We don't really feel like we have a way to shake it out because we don't know if we're in safety. And that's where self-soothing comes in. That's where mantras of like, I'm going to be okay. We're going to get through this. What can I control today? I've controlled what I can control today. Um, massaging our shoulders to, to relax those stress muscles. Um, you know, that's why taking a warm bath is helpful. There's certain things that we can do. Breathing exercises, wearing comfortable clothes, drinking hot tea. Um, there's a lot of things we can do to soothe ourselves and calm our system down. And so we're going to have to take like a two-pronged approach when it comes to these OCD urges is we're going to have to, you know, manage the anxiety and like fight against it, distract so that it will go away. I promise you it will go away. So distract. And then we're gonna have to find ways to soothe our system. And by doing both of those things, I really think we'll see the OCD upsets happening less and less. But if you have other tools and tips and things that you've been doing, if you struggle with OCD and you're like, hey, Katie, you should have said this, let me know in those comments. Okay. Um, Yes. And then also checking in with your therapist. I know I mentioned that briefly, but that's very important to keep up our sessions if we can through phone, Skype, FaceTime, whatever they offer. Ooh, a fruit fly is coming at me. Okay. Question number five. I really love this question, you guys. I haven't been asked this. I talk about positive self-talk all the time, and this just really cracked me up. Okay, so this question is, at what point does positive self-talk, like everything will be okay, I'm beautiful, I'm successful, when does that start to become delusional? Now, the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is the word delusion means falsely held belief. Okay. And uh, I, I'm sure I think that's almost exactly like the definition, but if I misspoken, it's like, there's a couple more words in there that I forgot, feel free to add it, but falsely held belief. And if someone is actually delusional, like someone who has schizophrenia, for instance, no amount of uh, facts, research, evidence, anything like that, uh, conflicts within the thought process, none of that is going to change their mind. And that's something that's difficult for new, uh, new therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists in the field is understanding that. Because um, I've had some schizophrenic patients I used to see when I worked in the hospital setting that uh, one guy believed that God was talking to him through the television. That's a very common delusion. Um, and then the hallucination was that he would actually start to hear him talking through the television. So you can see how they kind of pair but no matter what I would say or prove to him, he would never not, he would, it, he could never believe that God wasn't talking to him through the television. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be able to convince him otherwise. And so the reason that I'm defining that and talking about it is because having positive self-talk and thinking like I'm beautiful and I'm successful, even if that's not really true, isn't a delusion unless you believe it no matter how much evidence you have to the contrary. And so 
I don't believe that if we're struggling with positive self-talk and something that we're trying to help improve our confidence, that it will ever become delusional um, because the de delusions just don't work that way. Okay. However, I get what they're trying to say. They're like, when does this just become like ridiculous? And like, if I believe it, it's not even true. That's that negative self-talk coming in again. It's ruining your positive self-talk. And here is why, uh, like, this is a great example of why I think bridge statements are so key and important when it comes to doing this. So when we're doing positive self-talk, we can't just be like, like, everything's going to be fine. I'm great. I'm beautiful. People love me. This is amazing. Like, just saying that stuff, if we don't believe it at all, isn't going to help us feel better. I know. I'm sorry. That's just not how it works. Because if we don't believe it, it's not doing anything. It can stop negative talk, negative self-talk right in its tracks, which could be very beneficial. However, that's why bridge statements really help. So if we have a lot of like shitty self-talk, we're like, I'm so worthless, things are terrible, whatever it may be. I, I'm unlovable. Everybody hates me. I'll never be good at anything. I don't know. You name it. I'm not going to believe everything's going to be okay. I'm beautiful and I'm successful. But I can start bridging it. I can say it's possible I'm not as bad as I think I am. It's possible that um, I might be lovable maybe sometime in the future. I'm open to that possibility. And we start moving from that negative into the positive. And I think that that's actually how healthy self-talk grows and becomes real, not delusional. I don't think that these can ever become delusional. I don't know if this is making sense to you, but this is like <laughs> delusion, like even if these things aren't true, that doesn't make you delusional for trying to believe them. Do you see it like doesn't like positive self-talk and delusions are not the same thing. Delusions are like, uh, I don't know, like there's no one better than me. Like you could have like delusions of grandeur. Like I am the best at everything. Like positive self-talk is like, I, I am beautiful. People will love me or people can love me or I will be loved. Uh, I am good at this or I might not be as bad at this as I think I am. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can move that. And I just don't really think it can ever become delusional. Um, that's just not how delusions work. That's not what they are. And I hope that that makes sense. If you have a follow-up question, you're like, hey, Katie, that sucked. The answer is terrible. <laughs> Please answer it differently. You can ask me um, and I'm okay with that. Um, but I don't think positive self-talk will ever become delusional um, because it's just positive self-talk. We should all be speaking more kindly to ourselves. Just consider like what you'd say to someone else versus what you say to yourself. And also consider if that the things that you're telling yourself in your head all day, every day, that someone just walked up to you in your life and said that to your face. Would you accept that? Hell no. You'd be like, who do you think you are? I don't owe you anything. How about you shut the fuck up? We wouldn't tolerate it because that's just not okay. But for some reason, we tolerate it from ourselves. It's very, it's very complicated. Um, but yeah, those are not delusions. Those are just things that we say to make ourselves feel better. And I'm okay with that. Okay. Question number six. While I hope I will be doing fine, I'm pretty sure some other people will struggle with this. During these crazy times where your social life might be shut down for months, potentially trapping you in your home. I feel that. How can one avoid falling back into a dark place after beating these emotions only a few months ago? Social contact and going out in public will be the answer, but that is impossible right now. And while Skype might help, it just isn't the same. I know it's not the same. And I don't want people to think that like I, I don't agree with that. It's not the same. 
But I really do think there are ways that we can make it more like going out. For instance, we can do um, like get dressed up, like role playing. Like, okay, I know it sounds silly to say role playing, but we're like not leaving the house, but we're like getting dressed up to go out. Get dressed up to meet your friends for happy hour on your computer. Put on your nice uh, pants or top or dress or whatever. Put on your makeup. Get ready. I got to I gotta get ready because I'm going to meet with them here in like 20 minutes. You do that. You sit down. You pour your glass of wine or you start making your food or whatever. And you sit down to hang out with them. And then you chitty chat as if you are in person. I know it's not the same, but it's as close as we can get. And I think the rituals around going out and socializing are what is so important. And then I would even encourage you when you're off of the hangout, text them. Be like, that was so much fun. It was great to see you. Those are things you might do when you see someone in person afterwards. Like if I see my girlfriends, I always text them later. I'm like, oh, it's so good to catch up. I'm so glad this is going well or about such and such. You know, you just do like a little follow up. Do a follow up. Do all the things that you normally do around socializing. And just do the socializing from a safe distance. And like I mentioned earlier, hopefully if things kind of go, people take this seriously. And in a couple of weeks... Hopefully, we're able to at least engage with other people who've been quarantined for those weeks and have no symptoms. And so then we can at least socialize in other people's homes. And we'll stay tuned, obviously, for any kind of real medical advice on that. But that's that's my hope. Um, and so I think that that's something that we can do. And then also using your tools. What got you out a few months ago? It wasn't just socializing. It was probably the way you talked to yourself. It was probably thought stopping, not letting your thoughts go into that dark place. And I would encourage you to use those same tools. And I know that um, it can be hard to motivate when we're stuck at home, but I I love this. I was on a live stream for Patreon um, last week, I think it was, and one of the people that was on the live stream was like, I do the five-second rule. I do five, four, three, two, one. I got to do it. I'm going to get up. So you count down from five and you go do the thing that you're, you're like putting off for some reason. So if you're having a tough time using your tools, whatever that might be, whether it's setting up time to hang out with your friends on Skype whether that's getting ready for that, whether that's, um, you know, I don't know, journaling or using your impulse logs or, uh, I don't know, coloring, putting a puzzle together, reading, whatever it is. If you're like, oh, I just don't want, I'm just going to lay here and like let the negative thoughts take me away. No, you count down from five and you get your ass up and you go do that thing because otherwise it's so easy to get caught back in that rut. Um, if you haven't been a viewer for a long time, you won't remember this, but my video, I don't even remember what video this is. It might be schizophrenia video or another video, but essentially what I'm trying to describe is like how our brain is like neuroplasticity when it comes to our brain and learning new ways to cope. And I like to think of our brain as like a balloon that's filled with sand. And every action that we take is like rolling a marble from one synapse to the other. It's like making this little rut in the sand. And when we learn something new, it's really hard, right? It's like when you go to your job on the first day, and or even go to a new school you don't know where anything is you don't know how to do anything you feel kind of out of place it's really uncomfortable and everything is new and it takes you longer to do the things than normal or than like you know the other people the people who've been there for a while so that marble is trying to create a rut and it's really hard and it's working hard your brain is working hard but slowly but surely remember like after being at a job for like three weeks I remember when I was a waitress the screen on how you place orders and stuff I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get used to this. And then a few weeks in, it was like old hat. It was so easy. I could do it like so quickly. So that neuroplasticity, that marble keeps rolling. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper into this rut. 
which is helpful for learning, makes things easier, makes, uh, it allows us to be able to do things without having to consciously think about it because it's a learned skill. But this can be bad when that rut is actually something unhealthy. Like every time I get stressed, I binge eat. Every time I get stressed, I binge eat and it goes back and forth. Every time I feel alone or isolated, I get depressed. Every time I feel alone or isolated, I feel hopeless and helpless. And we get in this dark place. We've made this rut. And so you've gotten out of that rut a few months ago. But that rut still exists. It hasn't been fully filled back in with sand. And so we're going to have to fight to keep it out. And we're going to have to use all the tools that we learn, those new, harder things to do. I know we're going to have to force ourselves. That's why that some of that self-talk has to be like, in five seconds, you're going to get the fuck up off this couch. We're going to go do that thing. You're going to have to talk to yourself. We have to keep ourselves in check. It's really hard. And I know it's easier just to fall back into the old rut. But we don't want to be there. We already know what that feels like. And it's a scary, scary, unhappy, hopeless place. So you got this. Hang in there with us, okay? Hopefully we'll be out and just before you know it. I'm, ho- I'm hopeful too, man. I'm missing time with my friends and social contact is helpful for all of us. Um, but yeah, get dressed, hang out with your friends uh, via Skype. Okay, question number seven. Everyone says you should be confident, whether that's approaching someone for a date or going into a job interview or whatever. But my question is, how exactly do you be confident in air quotes? How can you change yourself from a state of no confidence to a state of very confident? I like this question. Get another drink of water here. Okay, so bridge statements. I put this one into the same, like in this podcast, because I was like, oh my God, that's like right in line with the other thing I was going to say. So like I was talking about before, when it comes to positive self-talk versus negative self-talk, negative self-talk leads us into a place where we have no confidence. Positive self-talk slowly leads us into a place where we have, you know, healthy confidence. I don't like to say like a lot of confidence or overconfident because we just want it to be healthy. We want to feel good about who we are. We want to feel good about meeting people and secure in ourselves so that we can have relationships and engage with people without feeling anxious, upset, less than, you know, or maybe even unable to hang out with other people. So all those shitty things we say to ourselves, we're, we're believing them as fact, even though we don't check our evidence, right? We take these thoughts that we have in our head and we agree with them and we turn them into beliefs instead of just allowing them to just be thoughts. Because we can have a lot of thoughts every day if you think about it. Like, like man, I should uh, fold my clothes. Or, man, uh, it's, it's kind of sunny today. That's nice. I mean, there's all these thoughts, right, that flutter through all the time. I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to pay attention to them. I don't have to believe in them and turn them into a belief. But we do that. It's like because we've had these same nasty thoughts about ourselves over and over and over and over and over, we take them as fact. And we believe them and they turn into beliefs about our, like beliefs that we have about ourselves. And I find it so interesting because I'm, I'm just as guilty, but you're like, get to the point, Katie, Jesus Christ. Um, but in order to change those beliefs, those negative, negative, nasty beliefs into self-confidence, we have to use our bridge statements. And so a bridge statement, let's say the negative self-talk or thing that I believe about myself is no one's ever going to like me. I'm never going to get this job. I'm always going to be alone. Okay? So that's a lot. We're like, wow, that's already like three thoughts in one little sentence. Yes. So we break them up. So I'm never going to get this job. Let's attack Let's attack that one first. The bridge statement would start to be like, it's possible that I could be employed by this person. 
Okay. We start telling ourselves that over and over, like at least twice a day. I want you to tell yourself that. And if you notice that thought coming in that I'm never going to get this job, I want you to give it that bridge statement instead. That's your response. Okay. I know this is exhausting. I know this is hard work, but this is how it, this is how it works. This is how we change it. Okay. Then we get comfortable with that. You know, it's possible I could be employed by that person. I'm open to that. That That's the thing that could happen. Then I want you to move farther over to the positive one. I want you to think like, you know, it is quite possible that I could be good at that job. Like I could be qualified. I might be qualified. Hmm. I might be qualified for that job. We do that. Then we move into like, it's very possible that I'm going to kill that interview. They're going to love me. It's possible. They could. Maybe they could like me. Maybe they could tolerate me. Maybe that's easier for you. Maybe they could tolerate me. And you see, we're just kind of building this bridge slowly but surely from this negative thought of I'm never going to get that job all the way to the positive where I'm going to get that job. They're going to love me. This is going to be amazing. And we have to build the bridge slowly. We can't believe things overnight. We can't change the ruts in our brain overnight. It takes a little bit of time and a lot of work. And I know it sucks, but we can do that for anything. We can do that for dates, going to a job interview, going to a party, meeting new people, any kind of thing that we have to do in our lives. We can use bridge statements to bridge from this shitty shit. It's, I, I hate to call it this, but it's just the shitty shit we tell ourselves, right? And we, it's not true. And we have no evidence. We don't ever second guess that evidence. We're like that one time that person laughed and I'm sure they were laughing at me. Where's your evidence? That's not evidence. I watch a lot of Law and Order and that would be thrown out. That's not evidence. You have to just like dig a little deeper. Did you even ask them? Did you approach them? They could have been laughing at something you don't know anything about. Come on now. So instead of just believing those things, we have to use our bridge statements to move us over into a more confident place. And yes, it sucks. And yes, I know some people don't even have to worry about that. And that's annoying. But for most of us, there are a lot of things we're not that secure or sure or confident about. But as long as we don't allow our brain to take us into that negative space all the time, if we force it over into this bridge into a more positive, we'll start feeling a whole lot better. Um, so yeah, practice it. And you can just use like a journal, uh, either writing it down like on paper, uh, you know, on paper with pen, or doing it online. There's a lot of like, locked up diary things where it takes a passcode to get into it. So someone can't like accidentally access all of your thoughts and stuff because that could be that could feel really shitty too. Um, but yeah, give that a try. And I promise you it'll lead you to a more confident place. Okay, question number eight. And I've gotten a lot of questions like this, so I hope this answer is helpful. The question is, I tend to binge eat when I'm home, probably late at night. So many of my patients have a tough time with that. That means I'm finding it hard to be home all the time now and turn my focus away from the only thing I find comfort from. Oh man, my patients, viewers alike, I've gotten so many of these questions and concerns and text messages and worries. Okay. Here's what we do. And you can kind of see why I've grouped these questions together. Use your impulse logs. What is it that you're trying to binge? Why are we binging at night? Why is it we binge when we're home? What is it we're trying to like come down from or, or comfort from or cope? If you guys don't know, if you haven't been watching for a long time, eating disorders are just coping skills. We don't have any other tools to help cope with how we feel. So we overeat, undereat, control our body because that's the one thing we can control. But that coping skill isn't serving its purpose anymore. 
we have the freedom to choose a different one, a more healthy one. And I would encourage you, instead of trying to binge eat to comfort slash really numb the fuck out, try to find comfort in connection with other people. I would call that friend, text your therapist or call your therapist if you can set up another session. We're going to need to use our impulse logs. We're going to need to do other things to soothe our system. We're needing more comfort now because we're in fight, flight, freeze, because we're feeling stressed the fuck out because things are horrible and terrible and we feel overwhelmed. It's okay. It's okay to feel that way. We don't have to run away from it. We don't have to overeat so that we just can't even think about it. We just have to try to find some ways to soothe, okay? And so we're going to have to use those tools. I know it sucks. I know the urges are there, but we have to figure out why those urges are there, what's really going on, because then we can better manage it so that we don't need that coping skill because the binge eating isn't going to make us feel any better. For any of you who struggle with binge eating, you know we do the cycle where we feel super stressed out, super stressed out, maxed out. We binge eat. Then we have anxiety about the fact that we binge ate and we feel bad about it and self like all this shit talking goes on and then we go back again and do it again. And so just or maybe sorry, I forgot a stage. We start to restrict because we're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have binge ate. I'm so horrible, blah, blah, blah. And then we get overly hungry and we binge eat and we start it again. Sorry, don't want to forget that last little like tension building phase. Um, anyways, and then also something that we can do that's like a physical thing that isn't just a process thing. Because what I've talked about mostly is like what I talk about my patients in therapy, like talk to them about figuring out what purpose your eating disorder serves and like working to heal that. But also... Don't keep binge foods in your house. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I'm stocking up for weeks and weeks. That doesn't mean you have to have like family size amounts of of binge foods. You can pick other things. Okay, maybe we like to binge on, I don't know, potato chips. Don't buy potato chips. Instead, buy carrots and hummus. I know you don't like it as much, but that's okay. If it's going to be super triggering and having it in the house is going to make it extra hard for us, there are things that we can remove from our environment so that we don't feel so overwhelmed. Got it? I've been getting so many questions about that. So I hope that that's helpful. Okay, question number nine. And maybe the last question, maybe we'll get to 10 this time. We have a little bit of time. Question number nine says, what does it mean if I want to talk to my therapist more? I find myself throughout the day wishing I could just text them about certain things. I like having the feeling that I have someone to talk to and that someone hears me. This is so common. And I've talked about this a lot when it comes to attachment. Um, Many of you have told me that you feel super attached to your therapist. You want to see them more, talk to them more, be friends with them, all of this stuff. And that has to do with our therapist being like our only safe relationship at the time. Maybe we've never had an adult in our life, um, like a responsible adult who cares about us and feeling that like honest care and compassion that a therapist is supposed to create within like their holding environment meaning just like in their office and your relationship. Um, If we haven't felt that before, it can cause a lot of things to stir within, like inside of us, okay? And so um, that can make us want to see our therapist more, talk to them more, be around them more because it helps, it's really soothing. And then also there, um, there's the, I guess, and I'm not sure what this person, like why this happens This might just be in general, but if it's due to kind of the coronavirus anxiety and stress, it's because your therapist is a safe haven. They're a, they're a soothing person and a soothing relationship in your life. And that's very normal. And no matter what the cause of this urge to see your therapist more and talk to them more, I would definitely talk to them about it because it's something that we therapeutically need to manage. Because if those, for those of you who don't know, when it comes to therapy, When you start seeing a therapist, there are boundaries in place. 
things that we can and cannot do. And a lot of them are legal, but some of them are ethical, meaning legal is like it's black and white. You either can do something or you can't. Like, for instance, if you ever have a therapist that like approaches you sexually in any way, like I want to date you, I want to have sex with you, or they try to kiss you or anything, that is not appropriate. That is illegal. And you can, you should report it right away. Although I did learn recently, a member of our community was placed in a situation like this, and apparently it's not illegal in the UK. Get on that UK. That's disgusting and terrible, and I hate it. And it needs to stop. So, um, so yeah, so that's illegal. But then on, on an ethical side, if a therapist allows you to have contact with them all the time in between sessions and allows you to really lean on them emotionally for things, um, that can be very ethically questionable because the whole goal of therapy is to, so that you can get strong enough and have the tools to stand on your own. And so if we're completely, you know, uh, dependent upon our therapist, making decisions, uh, coming up with ways to cope with things, and we can't do it on our own, it's fine if that's at the beginning, but they should be working you towards that if you get what I mean. So it's like, I don't let my patients call or, or email me or text me in between sessions unless it's an emergency or it's a scheduling thing. And that's it. And that's just like a, a healthy boundary. And so it's important if we want to do that, that we talk about it. Because as a therapist, I have a lot of questions about it, like about your upbringing and how your parents were. Maybe your parents were abusive or emotionally absent. There's a lot of reasons that we can be clinging on to that therapeutic relationship. And having that information and knowing that you're having this urge can help me guide the work that we do. Um like I would do a lot of work around attachment and understanding boundaries and understanding uh, maybe it's reparenting and working on that. Um, it's doing a lot of inner child work so we can heal. Maybe if we were traumatized or harmed that way as a child, there's a lot of different things I would do depending on why we think this is happening. And so for the person who asked this question, I would really, really encourage you to bring this up in therapy, to talk to your therapist about it so that you feel like you can work through it so that this doesn't happen all the time because it could mean a lot of different things like it's not just one thing that makes us want to talk to our therapist more it could like but most of it usually goes back to some kind of trauma or attachment or both um but we may have also just not have had a safe place to even talk to someone so anyway there could be a lot of different reasons um but i'd start uh, and they said i like having the feeling that there's someone to talk to and that someone hears me and that can be very validating. And so I would I would bring it up in therapy. I would your therapist will guide and ask the questions to get to the real reason why this happens for you because everybody's different. Um, but don't worry, it's not it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean your therapist is going to leave you or that it's going to cause any issues. It's actually more important that we kind of talk it out and figure it out and try to work together. Um, because once we understand that, we can talk about boundaries and why they're important. You can figure out how. Um, give you ways to self-soothe or reparent and you know we can work in all the directions that are helpful for you I hope that that's helpful and makes sense there's a lot to that and a lot of reasons and if you want more video content about that I have a shit ton of videos so you can just look on YouTube and search Katie Morton attachment and you'll see everything about attachment styles um, you can even probably put in attached to my therapist I think I have like three or four videos just about that um, and you can um, watch those and hopefully those will maybe answer further if there's something you feel like I missed you like didn't you know didn't answer for you right here okay I think we have time for one more question you guys question number 10 what are some ways we can cope with uncertainty and hopelessness in times like this? I find myself panicking, not knowing how long this isolation will last. And I'm really scared that it won't, I won't be able to cope much longer. 
I think the best way we can cope with uncertainty and hopelessness, and I might do a whole video about this, stay tuned for that. Um, but I think the best way is to connect. The real antidote to feeling hopeless, helpless, overwhelmed, stressed out, not being able to calm our system down, feeling like on high alert and just in a dark pit of despair is to connect with other people. I know that sometimes the last thing we want to do and we just don't feel like we have the energy to reach out. Maybe we don't have people that are safe in our lives. Maybe it's that you see your therapist this week again. Maybe you try to like, I mean, not see in person, but like through Skype. Or maybe it's a FaceTime, or maybe we do a call or a text check-in. Maybe we let them know we're needing more connection. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's friends or family. If we have safe people in our lives that we can talk to and connect with, I would encourage you to do that. It could even be through, like I have my Facebook group, the Katie Facebook group. And even on the community tab over here on YouTube, um, on Twitter, we have community people chatting. There's a lot of ways to connect on my Patreon account. We have that too. Um, I would just encourage you to find other ways to connect to people because um, if you didn't watch my video about the coronavirus, I talk about how um, new research found that there was like a third act, um, activation through our vagus nerve that is called the social connection system, or I think it's social connection system. Um, but it helps us feel like activated and calmed at the same time. We're like engaged through connection and then we're calmed through security, um, you know, and support. And so I think that will really, really help you. And then also thought stopping, man, that's the main thing that has been keeping me healthy, happy and alive right now is not allowing my brain to go into this. Like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know for how much longer I can manage. I'm so overwhelmed. What if our food delivery doesn't show up? What if I don't have any groceries? Well, no, I have to tell my, my brain to just shut up. It's not helpful. I have to take it in another direction. I have to be like, so um, what are some things that I want to do this year? What are some goals that I have? You know, I'd really like to, to write a book about trauma. I'd really like to, you know, spend more time with my grandmother because she's getting older and I worry about her. There's all these things that we can do. We have to take our brain somewhere else. What's, what was it like? Remember, Katie, remember, I talked to myself. I know it might sound crazy, but it's helpful. Remember when you were in Paris with Sean and there was that bakery and it would wake you up at like seven, you start telling yourself those memories and stop those nasty thoughts right in their tracks because otherwise we'll all, we all could go there. I know all of us have had dark thoughts this week and last week. It's been really hard. We can feel like we're all alone, but we're not. And we do need to not allow <clears throat> our brain to take it there. We have to stop it from going there. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a frog in my throat. And so I really think that those are the best ways to cope. And then again, kind of back to the like checking in with your therapist, distracting when you need to, um, doing what you can. Like a lot of it, we might just need some action, some things we can do. You can set some goals. Like every day I have a couple of things I want to do around the house and a couple of things I want to do for work. It's not as much as I normally would do because I get tired early. Um, so gauge your own energy level. But those are some things that you can do to help you feel better because we can't be certain and feel like things are going to be fine. We we don't know that and that uncertainty sucks. So we have to control what we can and do what we can that's healthy and happy for us. And so that's why people are making puzzles and reading books and coloring and um, all sorts of things like that. Cleaning the house. Those are all nice distractions. Watching funny movies. We can do those things. Then like I've talked about throughout this whole podcast, like relaxing the muscles in our shoulders, head, neck. Those are all the muscles that are engaged during a stress response. And so if we can calm and soothe and relax those, we'll feel better. Um, 
you know, if it helps to clean your house and wipe things down and makes you feel a little bit safer, we can do some of those things. Um, I would encourage all of us to stop hoarding things. That's not necessary. I know that <clears throat> for some of us that helps us feel a little bit more secure. If it makes you feel secure to have shopped, you can shop. But there is no shortage happening. We created the shortage with our like binging of items. So just remember that there's no shortage in our supply chain. We're going to be able to, there is, there are like, there's food on our shelves. Um, toilet paper will be replenished soon. It's only because we overbought that we're, we saw any shortage. Things are fine now. So just buy what you need. If it helps you feel a little bit better to have something on hand, buy one of those items Um and then, you know, we're going to have to do that self-talk. We're going to have to thought stop and do some things to distract so that we can all get better. Because trust me, I'm in it with you. I feel it. It's overwhelming. Um, but we'll get through it. We'll get through it together. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know that this has been a hard couple of weeks. I know that it's, you know, I don't think that this is the end of it, but know that we're in it together. I'll be doing more live streams. I'll be doing more podcasting. Um, you know, I'll have videos coming out about this and, and topics related to it. Um, there'll be a lot of different things that I'm doing um, in order to connect, to help you feel uh, connected and remind you that you're not alone because we are as a world in this together. Um, and I hope some of these answers were helpful. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to this channel. This is the podcast channel. If you didn't know, Opinions That Don't Matter. That's Sean and I's podcast. If you're looking for a way to distract, that's a great way to distract. We do answer some of your relationship questions on it, but it is not a mental health podcast. It's more of a goofy Sean and I chit-chatting, shooting the shit about things. Um, so if you're just wanting to distract, that's a great way to do that. Um, and again, if you ever have any other questions or things that you want more information on, just get on YouTube, put in my name, Katie Morton, with the uh, some keywords, and I'm sure some of those videos will pop up. Have a wonderful week, and I will see you next Thursday. Bye about your work you can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt you can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know